But for you, you well, you know where to go to get the um, the okay. cat. That's Let's, what you're looking for. Right? Are, so you go there. I'm just saying to okay. get to it quickly. We're testing to see if we are online. Let's see. And there it is. You're live. Okay. All right. Let's uh, take uh, 10 tonight. Um, good evening. It's May 7th, 2020. We are finally live. I want to make sure everybody knows. Apologize for the delay. I can get into the technical issues that uh, got changed on us, but I won't bore with you with that. You're not coming here to learn about uh, uh, YouTube streaming. You want to learn and hear about association issues. So tonight I'm going to cover two topics. The first one I want to do is go over very briefly uh, the uh, pool or, uh, openings. Uh, there's been a lot of discussions about that, um, and I want to really make some clarifications to that because I think it's really important to everybody to understand what we're doing and why I'm uh, giving the advice that I am, which is that you keep your pools and your recreational facilities uh, other than tennis, I'll give you that uh, one example, uh, but you keep them closed and you don't allow people to use them to ensure uh, both their safety, but also liability issues, litigation issues that the association can face. Okay, so let's start with, uh, and I'm going to use really right now, the uh, Palm Beach County uh, order. And I think it's very similar to all the other ones in the Tri-County area. So, first of all, with tennis courts. Tennis courts is a really easy proposition. Um, you should only play singles, you shouldn't play doubles, and you shouldn't have people congregating. That's the social distancing rule. That's the uh, uh, six feet apart minimum, no more than 10 in an area. If you are one of these associations fortunate enough to have a locker room and bathroom facilities, those need to be kept closed. Community pools. It happens to be a, an incredible hotbed right now about uh, members wanting access to the community pools no matter what, feeling that associations don't have the right to close them. Let me say this. First of all, uh, many associations have uh, amenities that not everybody uses, yet everybody pays for. So we're clear whether you use the basketball courts, the play system, the tennis courts, you still pay for your assessments. So what, what, what's, the, uh, what's the ground rules on community pools? Well, right now, uh, the, or, the uh, edict came, coming out, the orders coming out uh, from the county, and this is, again, specifically Palm Beach, are that community pools shall, remain, uh, shall reopen provided that the CDC guidelines are met. Clearly, that makes sense. Pool capacity shall be limited to ensure that social distancing is complied with in accordance with the CDC. Again, perfect sense. Locker room and shower facilities, if you're lucky enough to have them, uh, shall remain closed. Restrooms shall be cleaned and disinfected regularly throughout the day. Well, that's an expense, and that's to ensure that you have somebody overseeing that. Pool deck seating or lounging shall be restricted to ensure social distancing, accordance with CDC guidelines. This goes back into my original, and I'm going to call this, you know, uh, reopening pools part two. Part one, I discuss the fact that you are basically telling members of your association that they can't use what others can, and then you have to set up some guidelines that say, 
well, you can only use it for an hour, hour and a half, and then you must vacate if there's people waiting or if there's a waiting list, and you need somebody to administer that. Um, certainly, a board member does not want to be that person, nor does any volunteer want to be that person in the community. Whether you have the funds or the staff to ask a management company to do so or security personnel, that's up to your particular association. With respect to pool deck seating and lounging, uh, a prior uh, order that came out said that they must be cleaned between individual using it. Again, I don't think there's any difference in that and I think that's a mandated item. One or more facility uh, uh, staff or management must be, a faculty staff or management must be present at each faculty or facility location to monitor and ensure compliance with the restrictions within this order. What does that really mean? Okay, so first of all, we know if you have staff members or management what that means. But we also know, and this was later clarified, and I want to thank one of my association board members uh, in East Boca for providing this to me, uh, that one of the commissioners came out and said, let me clarify this. Let me tell you exactly what we're looking at here. And he clarified it by saying, the county does not require a staff person or management to be in present this is his words, to be in present to or in close proximity, proximity to any of the pool users. Okay. However, regarding pool capacity and limited hours use, the capacity must be limited regarding, uh, regardless of these hours. So how are you going to mandate the capacity if you don't have somebody on site overseeing it? You can't. Staff or management may delegate monitoring and compliance responsibilities to board members and community volunteers if they believe the pool can be operated safely and in compliance with the order. Think about the ramifications of what that just said and, and what I just read. If you believe the pool can be operated safely and in compliance with the order, you can go ahead and delegate that to somebody else. Let me say this. Once you delegate anything, you are still responsible as a board. Okay? These are non-delegable items with regards to liability and responsibility. Ultimately, it's the board that makes the decision that it's going to delegate this to somebody else, yet you're not going to hold that individual board member responsible. Clearly, DNO insurance is going to cover them, maybe, because this is a COVID issue, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But more importantly, you can't delegate this to a member of the community who's not on the board and say it's their responsibility nor do you want to, nor does that person want to be delegated to. These are really, really tough issues that you do not want to put any one person in the middle who's a resident of that community. You do not want a police force, a voluntary police force, being made of other members of the community or members of the board. This is not what you signed up for, nor anyone else. More importantly, what happens when that person decides, I've got to get out of here. I've been here four hours. I'm baking in the sun. I've got other things I want to do. I want to rest, whatever it may be. And they can't get hold of somebody who put them there, and they simply walk off. And now you have complete uh, collapse of any authority whatsoever at the pool, and more and more people come in saying, look, there's nobody telling us not to, and why shouldn't we, right? Why shouldn't we have the rights like everyone else does? And this is, again, why it's easier to keep the property closed until such time as all of this is lifted and you can go and enjoy it normally like you have before or with some other guidelines that are more acceptable and more reasonable. 
Finally, as part of this uh, order that comes came out by the commissioner, if these accommodations are unsuccessful, the pool should be closed until alternative or alternate monitoring arrangements can be put in place. Again, why get to the point where you have a potential litigation, a potential cause of action, and not stop it from the inception? You do not want people congregating at these pools uh, potentially passing the virus from one to another, potentially getting sick, uh, God forbid, dying from it, uh, having lasting physical effects from it, and having the pool, the association obligated to that uh, in litigation. I assure you, as you look on the TV and you watch these commercials, everything is blowing up more and more into causes of action with regards to this. And I assure you there's going to be an attorney who's going to challenge a board of directors for the actions they took in putting their members in harm's way. And whatever you want to come back and say, listen, we did it because people were, uh, you know, uh, wanting out. They couldn't take it anymore. They didn't know what to do with themselves. That's not going to be a defense. The defense is going to be, or the issues, the legal issues are going to be whether or not you were uh, negligent in your actions and whether or not your actions were justified under the law and under a reasonable person standard. And I assure you, they won't be if you do not have somebody on site who can enforce with valid rules and regulations that you've enacted to try and contain the situation. And that's really a segue into me telling you this is a great time with regards to tennis courts, basketball courts, open areas, play systems for young kids, pools, decks, uh, bocce courts, whatever it may be, to start looking at potential rules and regulations regarding use, uh, regarding time of use, regarding sign-up or ability of others who are waiting to have a clock start running on your use of it if you're on the court and to kind of mandate how this all works out to ensure that everybody has a fair shake at it. And this is something that you should consider and I, I really uh, am a proponent of that, as well as, again, for the last time on this topic, you need to take specific action to lock your gate areas so people can't break it. I know associations where locks have been broken, chains have been snapped. You have to put it in such a way that you do not allow people in. Uh, next week, next Thursday, I'm going to have uh, Mr. Damian McFadden. He's one of the largest insurance brokers uh, four associations here in South Florida. I know him very well. He's going to be a guest speaker of mine. Uh, he's going to tell you and talk to us about issues about coverage, what you need to look at. I will tell you this, that one of the issues that, that insurance is not covering right now are COVID-related cases and claims. Um, somebody asked me the other day after watching one of my videos, well, how do you know it happened at the pool? Uh, there's something called contact tracing or tracing uh, overall. Uh, they are getting more and more sophisticated in the means and ability to look back and see where you were, who you were in contact with, in what region of time and what period of time to try to determine where you may have uh, been exposed to the virus and who you may have exposed to the virus. So I assure you that a law firm with the means to pursue such a claim will find out where it happened to the best degree it can. Remember, this is just a reasonable doubt. Uh, pardon me. This is uh, um, a preponderance of the evidence. It's not a reasonable doubt. It's a criminal case. This is a civil case, right? So this is 50% plus one more likely that it happened at the association's pool than in their house 
getting delivery from Instacart outside, right? That, that's going to be the analyses. So it's very important that you look at this and you are prudent as an association and you, start, you stay strong to your members and you say, look, it's for your health benefit, my health benefit, all of our health benefit, as well as, frankly, our financial benefits, because these are not going to be covered claims. All right. Thank you on that topic. I want to move now to what I uh, uh, did announce that we would discuss tonight, which is um, to be or not to be, to have an annual meeting or not to have an annual meeting. First and foremost, all of the emergency sections of the statute governing co-ops, HOAs, and condos provide the association with the authority and the legal ability to postpone or even cancel any board meetings or annual meetings. Clear as day, it's in the documents. Uh, the question is how far should you go and what should you do to try to hold such a meeting? So let's, let's get small associations out of, uh, out of harm's way here. You have an association from 20 to 30 people. Uh, I think you can do it via some type of video media, whether Teams, um, Skype, Zoom, what have you, you should be able to conduct a meeting, uh, especially a non-contested meeting. And I would, I would really say that a non-contested meeting, you don't even need to have a meeting unless you're trying to pass amendments. And again, non-contested amendments changes rules and regulations, which rules and regulations we know don't have to be done at an annual meeting. They can just be noticed 14 days in advance. But having said that, Non-contested small association annual meetings, feel free to do that. The issue really becomes, <clears throat> pardon me, when you look at an association of 50, 100, 200 plus people. In fact, I recently attended an annual meeting uh, where an election was contested and the Umsbudsman came down from uh, Tallahassee to conduct the meeting of over 400 people. It probably took us five hours uh, in person uh, at the facility of the association to conduct that meeting. Could you even imagine doing so over video uh, with everybody trying to understand what's going on, what they're seeing, not clear, did they look, did they see, did they do, and what has happened? And these are all questions that are going to arise as the election goes on. So do you do a condominium election through Zoom where everybody has the option to join the Zoom to establish a quorum in person? Proxies are counted, which would have been previously uh, received by the association's manager. Again, a lot of people like to bring in uh, their votes and their proxies at the time of the meeting itself and, and, and drop it in uh, so they can see it right then and there. They're not uh, obviously not always uh, um, happy or, or, or trusting of the manager. So what would you do in those situations? Um, you know, election ballots are given on the day of the annual meeting to the inspector who are all in the Zoom frame. Uh, you probably have two to four people uh, at a table. Uh, as best as you can, you would have a Zoom uh, monitor or video, and I keep referring it to Zoom, but again, I believe that if you look at Teams or Skype, there are a, a more secure platform, but whatever you're using. Um, <clears throat> opening envelopes all in front of those in attendance on Zoom. So first of all, uh, you still have distrust. You still have questions of whether that's occurring 
properly, whether there's any disruption in the feed. Uh, I know that I had a, a video feed last week uh, with uh, Miss Alton George, uh, George Alton from my office. Uh, she was, uh, she's our family lawyer, law attorney, and we simply could not proceed with the um, video transmission uh, on, on our live uh, broadcast because there was simply not enough bandwidth here at my residence to do so. Uh, what happens if there's not enough bandwidth, if the bandwidth is overtaken, if there's a glitch in the system and things go down? Just imagine the number of people complaining, challenging the elections. Now, um, I've heard from attorneys, well, we'll keep all the ballots there. We'll keep all the proxies. We'll keep all the documents, the envelopes. Everything will be open for inspection. Yes, that's true. But who's to say that those weren't either altered or substituted along the way while video transmission was uh, uh, interrupted, while people weren't able to see what was going on or hear what was going on, or the transmission slowed down or froze for a second and then started up again. You know, the famous slide of card, taking that uh, card for your uh, full house from under your leg or under the table. Uh, think about the ramifications that you can look at doing so counting election ballots with all the stacks, we're talking about 50, 100, 200 plus condos and HOAs, all of those stacks available there uh, in front of those counters where you don't know if those counters were actually people who were appointed because of impartiality or people appointed because they either support the current board or some people who are running against that board. The distrust that this would uh, um, foster, I think, far outweighs the postponement and potential cancellation of any annual meeting. So let's, let's talk about that. Uh, first of all, um, right now, you do not have to cancel any annual meetings. You have to indefinitely postpone them. And the reason why you're doing that is because you're waiting to see what orders are lifted uh, and where the governor goes with that. One of those deadlines is tomorrow, in fact. So again, we're today, tonight on May 7th, 2020. Tomorrow, May 8th, is when the uh, emergency order expires. We do all anticipate that the governor will uh, uh, extend it for another 30, probably 60 days. So this authorization of the association to act under the emergency powers will continue moving forward. And as such, meetings postponed, canceled, uh, is very viable and legally uh, proper under those emergency powers. So if you look at that, and at this point, the association sends that off four, five, six months from now, potentially you could have an annual meeting at the end of the year. However, as you get closer and closer to the next election, you're looking at added costs, uh, really as, a, as almost a futility of people serving on the board who may replace somebody else for a few months before there's yet another election that you can conduct in person. I would imagine that if this continues to the, in the foreseeable future and bumps up against next year's elections, the division will come out with some other type of process by which to run elections that can be verified and secure while being done by uh, video or otherwise. Until that happens, I think that you avoid litigation, avoid distrust, avoid questioning the process 
by holding it off and not taking it and going forward with it. And, and that's really my opinion on this. Um, you know, uh, I, I do know and I'm reading here, you know, one of my colleagues had members in an HOA uh, email ballots to the manager. Um, again, all of the election processes that the division has authorized in the past that were done online were very secure with companies and some law firms investing tens of thousands of dollars in these programs that ensured, uh, you know, almost like a federal type or county statewide type uh, voting system. And we know how good those are. But in all seriousness, really secure systems. You know, sending this over Zoom, sending an email ballot, not knowing whether or not it comes from one owner or another owner or somebody's hacked email or somebody who appears to uh, clone somebody else's email. Yes, I, I'm being somewhat, uh, um, you know, looking at issues here, uh, conspiratory type uh, issues. I understand that. But these are issues that I think can arise in a challenge going down the line. So you'll have spent all this time, all this money, and I assure you conducting elections online through Zoom, Skype, or Teams is extremely difficult. You will have, you know, 50, 60, 100, 200 people all asking questions, all wanting to know what's going on. Uh, <clears throat> uh, you know, you will have these issues of having to address them. Great question I just received about nominations from the floor. Again, the way people were doing it, they were doing uh, um, a nomination from the floor by using Zoom and having people say, I'm running for it. But it got confusing. And you had competing people saying, you know, whether they uh, somebody else heard it or wanted to or didn't understand that they were able to. So, yes, I think, again, if you are having nominations from the floor and generally speaking about elections, you should wait and postpone them to the foreseeable future and then start running your elections again if you're able to or if the division comes out with some other type of program or process that it believes is proper and would effectuate a secure election. There is no need. Elections, I get it. They're polarizing sometimes. There's competing factions out at the association. Right now is not a time for that. Right now is a time not only for unity, I would argue for stability, for a board that's doing its job, working on behalf of the members, always going to be some that don't believe that, for the, for the most part, that's doing their job, working on behalf of the members, should continue to do so and do so until such time as it is safe and fair to run an open meeting. And when I say fair, so everybody can participate, everybody can see the process, and everybody can be assured that there was no cheat, that there was no sleight of the hand in doing something differently. I will say, again, to answer the question about what if your docs say that you have to take candidates from the floor, one of the attorneys that uh, opined or, or shared uh, with an experience about doing a doing election online was a condominium, and they did not do and would not do an HOA one on the because of the on the floor on the uh, on the evening on the floor nomination requirement and not being able to uh, abide by that. So they were very clear that that wouldn't work for them. And again, I don't believe it would work. Um, and finally, uh, and I'm also of the opinion of this, 
that there would have to be some amendment to your governing documents in order to authorize a board to require a meeting to be held via Zoom, Teams, Skype. Uh, um, because you'd have to, again, explain the process, the security, how you would go about getting the ballots uh, in, nominations in, the count, the verification uh, for all the owners who want to watch, the participation, uh, if you're going to have a candidate's night or you're going to listen to somebody uh, talk about themselves to make sure that everybody has the ability to hear it as well as everybody has the equal opportunity to express themselves who are candidates. And again, if you're having video technical difficulties like I did earlier this evening, uh, that could really hinder the process. And, 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 you know, with elections, the key word, it's called disenfranchise. And anybody who can come and claim that they have been disenfranchised there is a great possibility, not a good, a great possibility that the division could invalidate the election and find that there was no need to really do so in the middle of the pandemic under the governor's emergency orders. And while those orders allowed you to postpone and or cancel uh, those uh, annual meetings, you didn't do so and you have a flawed meeting. So for those reasons, it's my opinion that that should not go forward and that you should not uh, uh, hold annual meetings at this point. If the meeting is for an amendment, um, again, all your documents, uh, oh, I just got a retracted uh, message, so I guess I, I answered the question. That's good to hear. Uh, if your meeting is for an amendment, and I've heard this from some managers saying, look, we have worked so hard, we have got to get these amendments in, and we want to pass them and we're confident it's going to pass. Well, first of all, if you're confident it's going to pass, it's going to be a, 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 an easy meeting and it should be an easy meeting. Um, if it's a contentious one, again, the way you set up your videos, the way you format the meeting that evening, that has to be expressed to all of the members, in my opinion, prior to that meeting to ensure that everybody's on the same page, everybody's aware of what's going to happen and how it's going to happen. And therefore, if there's a challenge to the process, it could be made before, not after. Obviously, anybody can challenge it after as well. You want to put everybody on notice that we're doing what we're doing before the meeting so you have an opportunity to look at that and know that, look, there's something flawed in what we're doing and we're going to change it before it happens and not have to deal with it as a matter of fact, after it happens and potentially invalidate the vote and the amendment if it does pass. With that, I want to thank everybody. I know it got a little later than uh, anticipated. Um, as I've said before, I'm going to put this also on my uh, podcast so you can listen to it. Um, I want to take any other questions that you may have at this time. I'm going to also do a legal update um, with some cases. I'm going to put that on my podcast as well which is both on my website as well as on Podbeam, um, iTunes, and Google Play. Uh, you can find me there under Sheer Law Group. Next week, again, we're going to have Mr. Damien McFadden. Uh, and the week afterwards, we're going to have a guest speaker with regard to real estate closings, online notaries, really how the market's changing and, and, and making sure that it, we can adapt to continuing to sell and buy our homes. I will also continue to give... Um, legal updates, which I'll also do via video as well. Thank you again. Have a wonderful evening and thanks for following me. Please, if you haven't yet subscribed, do so. Uh, ring the bell, get the notices and follow me on Twitter. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful night. Be safe and God bless everyone.